0: To Maritime Agcast, the podcast dedicated to the farmers and the farm community of the Maritimes. We will discuss all things related to the livestock industry with local, regional, and national guests, as well as keep you up to date with current markets and industry events. Atlantic Stockyards Limited has been Atlantic Canada's major livestock market for over 60 years. The stockyards attract buyers regionally as well as extending into central Canada. Livestock auctions occur every Thursday with cattle, sheep, goats, hogs, rabbits, and poultry all featured. Additional information, such as previous market reports, feeder sale dates, and vaccination forms can be found on
1: AtlanticStockYards.com.
0: Today we'll be joined by Jonathan Work to discuss lambing season and how to make sure our lambs survive uh, to weaning and market age. Jonathan is the manager of Livestock and Field Crops at Perennia. With more than 25 years experience as a commercial farmer raising sheep and beef and delivering custom farm services, Jonathan brings practical experience with his current extension responsibilities. As a producer, Jonathan has experience in the importation and marketing of livestock genetics. Uh, And we want to thank you, Jonathan, for joining us today to talk about uh, improving our lamb survival and marketability of lambs.
1: Well, thanks, Brad. It's a pleasure to be here and it's always exciting to talk about in particular, lambing and, and lamb survival and improving lamb survival.
0: Yeah, so let's get right into this thing. You know, lambing season is coming up upon us here fairly quick. What are your suggestions on what sheep producers can do to prepare themselves, their use, and their facility for lambing season?
1: Well, that's a, that's a big question, uh, Brad. But you know, I think the biggest thing is to to plan in advance and make sure that you're ready for lambing time. Uh, at least a week before you anticipate having lambs arrive. For some reason, sheep don't seem to uh, read the same calendar that we do. And my own experience over 25 years and, and probably in that period, 40 or 50 lambings, you know, they they seem to uh, surprise you every time. So I think the biggest thing, to be honest with you, is to make sure that you've you've got your barn ready and and uh, you've got all your equipment in place before, long before you, you're gonna need it for lambing time. The other thing is if you're actually gonna move your sheep into a different area for lambing, then do that before lambing time so that the ewes have an opportunity to adjust to the new environment and that they're comfortable with it. The other thing is to uh, you know recognize that uh, the majority of the, the problems that we run into at lambing time are actually uh, things that uh, could probably have been corrected uh, you know earlier in the pregnancy if if the sheep had been managed well. Some research that was done years and years ago indicates that probably close to two-thirds of the lamb mortality problems that we see at lambing time are actually as a result of something that happened long before lambing. And you know despite all the efforts of the producers to to do the right thing at lambing time, You know, if if everything's not done properly in terms of nutrition and management of the ewes prior to lambing, then you can can run into a lot of problems.
0: So you're touching on the gestation period, obviously, and obviously it's important to to make sure that the lambs are in good body condition, um, have proper nutrition. What does that look like as far as getting ewes ready for lambing season?
1: I mean, if we go back to some basic premises of, of nutrition and, and understanding of the gestation process, we can really divide the, the ewes gestation up into into three separate periods. The period of breeding the ewes and then the one-third, the first-third one first of the gestation after breeding, where the ewe basically is is in maintenance uh, conditions if she's in good condition at breeding time. And there's really not a lot of demand on her body. The biggest thing is just to make sure that there isn't any excessive stress and that she has an opportunity to get those, you know, fetuses developed in her body or established in her body. In the second or the middle part of the gestation, here again, there's not a lot of fetal development and growth, but what we do have is the programming or the establishing of the of what the outcome of the, of the lambing. So through this period, we're seeing, you know, the placenta developing and good placental development is gonna lead to, uh, you know, better birth weights at the lambs. It's gonna be uh, more or better, it's gonna have an impact on udder development because of the, the hormones that are produced, you know, with the placental development. And then also, if you you know you look at the the other development, you're going to end up with you know better milk production, but probably more importantly in terms of survival of the lambs, a lot of our good quality colostrum being available at at lambing time, and then we get into the last third of the gestation where 70 percent of the growth of the fetus occurs, and this is really the critical period. It's the time when you you really have to watch your feeding of the ewes. And if you think about it, you know that that fetus is growing exponentially inside the ewe. And if you've got multiple lambs, which we're we're looking for, you know you've got uh, a huge amount of pressure internally on the on the ewe, and that's going to restrict the amount of feed that she can consume and hold in her rumen. So we really need to make sure that we're doing a really good job on nutrition at this point in time. And I really encourage people to to feed their best quality uh, forage. And the only way you can do that is if you've done your homework and done some really basic forage testing and identifying the the best quality forage that you have at lambing time. It's also important to remember if you're feeding a a silage or a haylage that uh, there could be a significant amount of water in that feed that you're feeding. And yes, the you needs water to survive, but you've got to also remember that the amount of water that's in that feed is going to be included in her feed intake and it probably will limit it, the amount of uh, feed that she can eat. So if you can get some drier good quality forage or exceptional quality forage, this is the time to feed it. Um, you want to make sure that your user in, in condition score three, to three and a half. I actually like to see the ewes a little bit fat. I mean, obviously you don't wanna see them too fat, but if they're in a little bit better condition, I think that that's, that's probably a good thing, especially if you're uh, uh, you know, on, a, on an accelerated lambing uh, program. The big thing here is to make sure that you plan your feeding program and avoid dramatic changes in your feed and recognize that the ewes are gonna have uh, challenges with feed intake. So you want to manage that in advance so that the ewes don't start to lose body condition.
0: So we've got good healthy ewes and good fetal development. Are there any additional steps shepherds could do during their third trimester for pre-lambing management to help with lamb survival once they're born?
1: You know, you want to uh, make sure you get your ewes vaccinated. And uh, if you think that they need to be wormed, then that's the time to do it. Um, You want to avoid handling the ewes any more than you need to. Uh, Make sure that you've got uh, a lot of bunk space or adequate bunk space in your barn. Typically, we talk about, you know, about 16 square feet per ew, but uh, if you can get uh, up to, say, 20 square feet and 18 inches of bunk space to avoid crowding of the ewes so they're not pushing into each other too much, that's a good thing and it also eliminates or reduces the competition for feed. And you might want to consider shearing or crutching the ewes before lambing time. I always like to to shear because really you could see what was, you had a better feel for what was going on in terms of the ewes' body condition, but it also lets you see exactly what was going on at lambing time and uh, you could see uh, if there was problems occurring. The big thing with with shearing and crutching is to make sure that you do it uh, carefully, and you have an experienced shearer with you to to do it. If you're not a shearer yourself, um, in terms of actually getting ready in the barn, as I said early earlier, um, you know, move the ewes into uh, your lambing barn if you're going to do that about three weeks early, so they have a a time a chance to adjust. You know, depending on your experience. The number of lambing pens that you might want to have uh, will will vary. But, you know, as a, a start out spot, if you're new to, to and you're not an, ex- an experienced shepherd, I, I'd recommend one lambing pen for eight ewes. Um, it sounds like a lot, but if you don't have a lot of experience, you want to give the ewes uh, time to uh, to mother up with their ewes and our lambs and bond with them. And you need uh, enough lambing pens to be able to do that.
0: In upcoming events, the Nova Scotia Cattle Producers and Sheep Producers Association of Nova Scotia started posting virtual farm tours in late 2020. Visit nscattle.ca and nssheep.ca and their social media channels to view these monthly releases. The Nova Scotia Fruit Growers Association annual convention is occurring January 27th. Additional information is available at nsfga.com forward slash annual dash convention. The next module of the Maritime Beef Council's Atlantic Beef School, focused on farm business management, is occurring virtually from January 28th to 30. This features guest lecturer Steve Kenyon. To register or for more information, please visit maritimebeef.ca. Canada's Agriculture Day is February 23rd. Stay tuned to industry groups for events happening that day. The Canadian Federation of Agriculture annual meeting is occurring February 24th to 26th. For more information, you can visit cfa-fca.ca. Upcoming Atlantic Stockyard feeder sale dates include January 21st and February 8th after the regular scheduled sales. Please check atlanticstockyards.com for more information. For programs, please ensure you're regularly checking the Nova Scotia Programs website. Uh, as they will be released throughout the spring. That can be found at novascotia.ca forward slash programs. A reminder of the free online safe handling and transport of sheep and cattle course by Perennia. A safe handling course is required for some CAP programs. For additional information or to register for the course, please visit perennia.ca forward slash learning. So, we're approaching lambing season. To prepare, what are some of the basic supplies that shepherds should have on hand for both when things are going smoothly, as well as for any emergencies that might pop up?
1: Make sure you have those lambing supplies on hand, and I will go through what those are in a second. But, you know, remember that stores aren't open at two o'clock in the morning, and it's not always easy to get stuff. If you've got a good neighbor, you can probably borrow it, but it's a good idea to have your basic lambing supplies. So, you know, on a very basic level, you want to have soap and water in your barn to to make sure you can wash up if you need to intervene and help with a, a lambing. And you might want to consider some uh, plastic or rubber gloves. On a very direct level, uh, you want to make sure that you've got selenium and vitamin E available and, and needles and syringes so you can, you can give an injection of selenium and vitamin E to the lambs. I like to do that within the first 24 hours, uh, but generally not until the lamb gets onto its feet and and is comfortable and you know that it's nursing from its mother well. I also like to give a shot of vitamin A and D, so having that on hand is is necessary, and also you're obviously going to need more syringes and needles. Uh, Depending on your situation, and I think if you're lambing for the first time, you probably need to consider dipping the navels with iodine. Not everybody does that, but, you know, if you don't know what the situation in your barn is, then I'd certainly recommend uh, navel dipping. Uh, If you're going to dock the the lambs, which, you know, in most cases is a recommended procedure, then most people are using rubber rings and uh, an elasticator, so you need the applicator tool to to dock the lambs' tails. If you're going to keep track of your lambs and and your ewes, you're going to need... tags to tag the lambs and some uh, kind of recording system, whether that's a notebook and pen and penny bar or, uh, you know, a, a, maybe if you're really tech oriented, you might use a laptop or an iPad or something. It's important to remember that for some reason lambs seem to like to eat notebooks if you leave them around the barn, so you need to put those in the safe place and <laughs> I always like to uh, put all my lambing supplies in one uh, one toolkit and uh, you know have a nice secure box that we could carry around the barn and uh, everything was together and then uh, we used to actually take it into the house during the, the night or when we were done for the day so the selenium the vitamin E and the vitamin A stayed warm. You definitely don't want to let your your drugs freeze so if you're using those uh, products then it's important to keep them. In an environment that's relatively warm, so those are the basic landing supplies that you need. If you're gonna, you know, get into more uh, treatment of hypothermia, which we're gonna talk about in the next segment, I think uh, you're gonna need uh, a bunch of other tools like, uh, you know, a digital th- rectal thermometer and and uh, stomach tube and, and a warming box. But uh, I think maybe we'll talk about that in the next uh, section.
0: Excellent. So we're all ready for lambing and waiting for the first lamb to come. What are some signs that lambing is about to begin?
1: Everybody lambing is an exciting period of time and, and uh, you want to be there and watch what's going on. The problem is that uh, sheep really don't see us as friendly uh, entities. That are, they see us as predators, so they tend to be nervous about, around human beings. Maybe not so much around the shepherd, but if you've got uh, lots of people coming and going from your barn, it it really is disruptive for the ewes. And you'll see uh, lots of times, you know, a ewe will start lambing, and if there's a bunch of people around the barns, you'll just kind of wait until everybody leaves. And once people leave, then, then things happen. And uh, I always think that uh, the whole thing with a ewe lambing uh, is kind of like the watch pot that never boils. Once you leave, you know, the use tend to get on with, with business by themselves. Having said that, I like to use the kind of thought pattern that you know you, you wanna put the maximum amount of effort you can into supervising them but really limit your, your intervention. So when we set the barn up, especially when we were setting our own barn up, we used to make areas in the barn uh, like corners and and oh, we'd leave lambing pens open so the ewes had a place where they could kind of go off by themselves and get away from the other the other ewes. So in terms of supervision, it's it's important to to recognize that uh, you know sheep are really kind of discreet or they don't show a lot of signs at lambing time. Uh, so when you're feeding your barn in the morning or in, and in the evening. Um, Or even when you go into the barn, if there's a ewe that kind of hangs off by herself in a corner or doesn't get up when when you're feeding, that's a sure sign that something is going on. If you watch that ewe and she's not ruminating, you know, you have to make a decision about whether she's going into labor or thinking about lambing or she's actually sick. And the best way to do that is just kind of watch her for a few minutes but maybe from a distance so she's not, uh, she doesn't realize you're watching her. Unlike cattle, sheep don't show as many signs uh, uh, that they're gonna lamb. If you're really, really watching them carefully, you might see their sides drop. You know, in terms of normally as they get approach lambing and they're in, if they're in good body condition, they're usually pretty round. Um, In the later stages of labor, their sides will kind of drop and they'll be more square in the sides. As I said earlier, they probably won't be chewing their cud, and they do seem to seek uh, an isolated area and they act antisocial towards their other penmates, which is really significant because ewes are, are really a flock animal or sheep are a flocking animal, so when they do go off by themselves, something is going on. You'll notice that uh, they tend to get quite restless. They'll get up, they'll stand, they'll turn around, they'll lay down, and then they'll get up and move around a little bit more. And they always seem to be looking for kind of that perfect spot. They uh, Quite often you'll see them nesting, and they'll start to kind of pot the ground as if they're trying to you know, make an area to lamb in. And then they'll uh, exhibit what's called the flaming response, where they kind of roll their lips back their upper lip back and show their teeth and that's uh, kind of a sure sign that they're thinking about lambing i think you know, those are basically the the biggest things to look for
0: here is the market report for january 15th 2021 brought to you by atlantic stockyards limited which has been atlantic canada's primary auction mark for more than 60 years In the local hog market, base prices in Nova Scotia sits at $1.51, up 4.5 cents from last week. In Ontario, base price was up 4.5 cents as well from last week to $1.42.8 per kilogram. In Quebec, base price was $1.628 per kilogram, up 11.9 cents from last week. On the cattle side, fed cattle price at Atlantic Beef Products was $2.25 on the rail, no change from the previous week. In Ontario, live steer sold for $1.30, and in Quebec, rail price was $2.26. Call cattle at Atlantic Stockyards sold for $0.60, while rail price at Atlantic Beef Products was $1.22, up $0.10 from last week. Calls in Ontario averaged $0.53 and $0.57 in Quebec. Good Bob Calves between 90 and 120 pounds at Atlantic Stockyards sold for $119, dollars while well, calves in Ontario sold for $1.27 per pound, and calves in Quebec sold for $1.09 per pound. Base price for lambs at Northumberland Brookside Abattoir sits at ten forty per kilogram, and mutton is $6 per kilogram. 50 to 64-pound lambs at Atlantic Stockyards average $3.30 per pound at 56 pounds, ranging from $3.25 to $3.40. In Ontario, 50 to 64-pound lambs averaged 208 per pound at 59 pounds, ranging from 255 to 460. For 65 to 79-pound lambs at Atlantic Stockyards, they averaged 335 per pound at 73 pounds, ranging from 330 to 340. In Ontario, 65 to 79-pound lambs averaged 290 per pound at 72 pounds, ranging from 282.5 to 470. Use at Atlantic stockyards range from 330 to $370, averaging 350. And in Ontario, we use average 297 at 162 pounds, ranging from 66 cents to $3.40. So a good start in any livestock's life is good quality colostrum. Can you talk about the importance of first of all colostrum from the ewe, and maybe what we need to do as far as any intervention? Uh, or substitutes and, and how to manage those for new lambs?
1: Sure, colostrum is is the, the first milk that the ewe produces. Ruminants, unlike monogastrics, which humans are monogastrics, ruminant animals or ruminant uh, offspring are born with no passive or natural immunity. So they have to get that immunity from their mothers or we have to provide it for them artificially. Uh, without that first milk or colostrum, you know, the, you, the lambs uh, are really going to be at disadvantage and they're unlikely to survive, to be quite frank. So they need that first milk. Um, it's essential. It gives them uh, passive immunity to the diseases that are in the environment. It's a very concentrated source of energy. It has a lot of fat and, and sugar. And then the third thing it does is it acts as a laxative to get their, their body system working and excreting the waste products that build up in their body. The colostrum is absolutely critical. Depending on the time of the year, if you're lambing in the springtime or in the summer when it's relatively warm, you've got an opportunity and the lambs have got an opportunity to to take their time getting that colostrum. Um, if you're lambing in the winter time, you know you really have to get those those lambs dried off quickly and and get uh, an adequate amount of colostrum on board. The quicker, more quickly that you get that done, the the better the outcome for the lambs. The other thing to remember is that uh, you've probably got a situation or hopefully got a situation where you've got uh, multiple lambs. You know, twins and triplets so you have to make sure that everybody gets uh, uh, some of that milk it's you know if you're if you're just kind of letting the lamb suck to you passively by itself it's it's hard to measure the amount of colostrum that they get but basically you know if you pick that lamb up and it it feels light after it's nursed then it probably hasn't got enough colostrum like in terms of light, what I'm saying is if you, know, you look at the lamb and it weighs less than what you think it should weigh, there's a good chance that it hasn't had enough to, to eat. The other thing is that uh, if its mouth gets cold, um, it's probably also not getting enough colostrum. And we'll, when we go into looking at treating hypothermia, we'll get more, more specific in terms of temperature and uh, making sure that the, the lambs get enough colostrum. We go and look at some work that's been done in in cattle, because this work really hasn't been done that extensively uh, with sheep. We know that there's at least 6% of the calves that are born, uh, beef calf, calves that are born, don't get uh, an adequate amount of colostrum to uh, ensure passive immunity somewhere in the range of 27 to 30 percent of the calves don't get less than an optimal amount of uh, you know colostrum so if you add those together we're looking at you know around 35 to 40 percent of all the beef calf offspring that you know aren't getting enough colostrum to to adequately or to um, properly ensure their their future growth and survival so Clostrum really is critical and it's important to make sure that the the lambs get enough.
0: You know, of course, we always want the new lambs to nurse directly from the ewe, Jonathan. But um, if there is a challenge either with quantity or quality of that ewe colostrum, uh, what can shepherds do for having something on hand, whether it's frozen from previous uh, ewe's or is there a commercially available substitute that is of use for folks?
1: Sure, there's kind of a limited number of options for for sheep producers. Um, having said that that there you know there are commercial uh, substitutes available. So what I recommend is uh, basically your best first line of defense is collecting any any extra colostrum that might come along on your own farm and freezing it. So if you've got a ewe that's got a huge amount of colostrum and maybe only a single lamb and doesn't need all of that uh, colostrum, by all means, milk her out and save, you know, the first 24 hours of extra colostrum and freeze it. Or if you have a ewe that loses her lambs and you don't have any lambs that you want to foster onto her, we we would certainly or I'd certainly encourage you to milk her and, and st- store all that colostrum. What we used to do at our house is we used to uh, freeze that extra colostrum in the uh, clean single serving yogurt containers. So we'd recycle those and freeze them and they're just about the right size for what you want in terms of uh, an actual amount for for treating a, a lamb. The big thing if you're gonna freeze colostrum is to make sure you thaw it gradually. So you wanna take it and warm it up in a container in warm water. Don't microwave it because the microwaving process breaks down the proteins and it kind of defeats the purpose of saving the colostrum in the first place because it's it's going to destroy the antibody that's antibodies that are in the colostrum. You know, traditionally uh, people also used to, you know, kind of freeze some cow's colostrum and have that available. Um, we're beginning to realize that, you know, not all colostrum from from cows in particular is created equally. And in a lot of cases what most people have access to is you know dairy cow colostrum which really doesn't have as high levels of antibodies that we typically find in used colostrum. So, cow's colostrum, well, while it is a, you know, a potential source of, you know, antibodies for your your lambs, it's not a particularly good good version and you have to make sure that you get large volumes of it into the lambs to to ensure that they get uh, immunity and that can be challenging. The other thing is that, you know, from a biosecurity perspective, if you bring colostrum into your farm from other farms, then you know there's always the potential of bringing in additional uh, disease problems that you don't have on your farm. So we do have available artificial colostrum re- replacements right now, and there are ones available for lambs. I'd certainly consider uh, using those. I think that uh, you need to make sure that if you're buying one of those products that it's made from milk, Substitutes are milk, milk products rather than than blood. Uh, some of the colostrum replacements, uh, and typically the cheaper ones are are made from blood plasma. So, when you're looking at the label, make sure that it's one that's produced from uh, milk and uh, concentrated from milk.
0: So, Jonathan, you talked about those ewes that might be off in the corner by themselves or showing some potential signs of uh, things just not going smoothly. As an inexperienced or even experienced shepherd, you know when do you actually intervene and and help with the birthing process?
1: So that's a great question, because I mean everybody, every situation is a little bit different. and it, you know a lot of it kind of falls back to experience. Generally speaking, though, if you've seen the you that's uh, kind of acting antisocial and hanging out by herself and she's off in a corner and she's actually physically straining, if she hasn't made some kind of progress in in an hour and you're not seeing any signs of a lamb, then that to me would be a, a big warning sign and you know an indication that you need to to consider intervening. You know, I always kind of qualify that by saying, you know, I really do strongly believe in maximum supervision and minimum intervention, and the decision to intervene in a lambing shouldn't be taken slightly, you know, it needs to be given some thought or consideration. You know, I don't think you do anybody any favor if you intervene for no reason at all. so if if you go into the situation where you're you're starting to intervene in a lambing, you really need to think about you know the potential to to bring some bacteria in with whatever you do. So make sure that your hands are clean and and recognize that the more aggressive you go, and the further you go in, the greater the problem. So you know, if you've got a ewe that's, the, you know, she's, she's been straining for an hour and she's not doing anything, particularly if it's a mature ewe and, and she's, she's an experienced lammer, then I would certainly have a quick look and feel and see what's going on and see if you can figure out what's going on. If you've got uh, some parts of the water bag showing or if the water bag is broken and, and there doesn't appear to be any progress... Or if the ewe has you know, started to lamb and she stops lambing and she's not uh, straining, but there might be some water bag or a foot or something showing, then you definitely need to, to take some action and, and try and figure out what's going on. I really encourage you, if you're a, you know, kind of a new inexperienced shepherd, you know, take advantage of most places in Nova Scotia, we've got veterinarians that uh, you know, can help you out. Um, a lot of people, I encourage them to uh, get a kind of mentor or a buddy, you know, who might have some more sheep experience. And and you know, most most sheep producers are pretty pretty free to share their knowledge, and more than happy to to help out. And it's always great to have a positive outcome, you know. And it, I think the earlier that you take action, despite what I've said about intervening, the more likely you're going to have you know a good outcome. Over the years, I've had a number of occasions when, you know, I've had neighbors call and say, hey, the lamb started lambing, or you started lambing last night, and, you know, she hasn't done anything. Can you come and have a look at the ewe? And you kind of know that it's not going to be a good outcome at that point. You know, if you've let the ewe go 12 hours, the likelihood of getting a live lamb out is, is pretty unlikely. You know, it's, it's not very good. The, the odds are against you. So, you know, if you've got parts of a lamb showing and there's no pr- progress, then you want to check for a malpresentation. If you've got one foot showing and, and there's only, you know, you can't see any evidence of anything else, then you want to clean your hands up and, and kind of reach in there and feel around and see what's going on. Sometimes you might see a situation where there's water bags showing, but when you reach in, You can, you know, tell by this that the cervix isn't dilated, and and that's a tricky situation. You know, and if that that continues, you're probably going to have to get your veterinarian to help out with with that kind of a lambing. But in terms of, you know, dealing with malpresentations and lambs coming backwards, which is the toughest one to deal with, you have to just kind of take your time, either get a veterinarian to help you or or work through the, the whole process with a friend or a neighbor that's got some experience or just take your time and, and figure things out because, you know, you can run into some pretty pretty interesting situations. The other thing to watch for is if you've had a ewe that's lambed and, uh, you know, she's still acting uneasy and she's she still wants to produce another lamb, you want to keep an eye on her in case she's having problems with the second lamb. Typically, you know, should they get the first lamb out without too much, too many issues, then the second one will come just as easily. You know, every once in a while they'll they'll surprise you with with a problem. The big thing is, I think, if you intervene and you pull one lamb, then you want to make sure that if they're go back and check and see if there's there's any more lambs, and if there is, you know, help her get those out because. You know, if she's been straining for a period of time and you've intervened, it's pretty stressful on the ewe. It's not pretty stressful. It's very stressful. She's going to be tired. You know, if you've gone to the point of pulling one lamb and there's more there, then you want to, you know, help her out with whatever's left behind. I can't stress this enough. If you're in doubt or you have questions or or you don't know what's going on, really take take and call your veterinarian. You know, we've got some programs in the province here that that'll help you with with the cost of having a vet call if you're a registered farmer. And there's no reason why you shouldn't be talking to a veterinarian and taking advantage of those services.
0: Jonathan, would you be able to provide the listeners with a brief summary of lambing, colostrum and lambing management takeaways?
1: you know you've got uh, the ewes she's lambed and everything's gone well and uh, she has a, a live lamb or maybe two lambs or even three it's you know vital as we said earlier to make sure that uh, those lambs get enough colostrum within the first 24 hours 24 hour period really is critical but even you know research is showing that you know you, the earlier you get the optimum amount of uh, colostrum into those lambs the better and really, over that 24-hour bit period, their ability to to absorb the antibodies into their bloodstream declines. So, the more colostrum they get, even in the first hour, two hours, or three hours, the better. You know, once the lambs are dried off and they're sucking their mother, and and the ewe has kind of accepted them and they're active and vigorous, then you know that's the time you want to start looking at, you know, giving your your injection of selenium, vitamin vitamin E. You know, if you decide to do it, vitamin A and D, I like to treat the navels basically at birth, but uh, if the navel isn't starting to dry up, then you probably want to give some, uh, you know, apply some more iodine. And I like using a squirt bottle rather than a a teat dip or a dipping process, just because if you're dipping into a container, the tendency is for, you know, all the dirt and, and gunk to stay in the container where... If you spray it on, then there's no, uh, the container and the, and the iodine stay, stays clean. And really, you know, the, the tail docking and the castration, if you're going to castrate your lambs, you don't want to do that until the lambs are, you know, really vigorous and, and uh, mothered up to the ewe. But you still want to do that as, as early as you can, and you definitely don't want to leave it, you know, past a couple of days unless the lambs are really weak. In terms of identification, you know, I usually uh, do the tagging at the same time that I do any tail docking. When you're done doing these things, I always like to go back in an hour's time and check and make sure that the lambs are up on their feet and, and sucking again, just to make sure that they haven't uh, got too stressed out. And once you've got all of these things done, then you can think about uh, releasing the ewes and the lambs into the general population or, or group of sheep. And what I like to do is actually have a small kind of, almost like a, a, a neighborhood pen where the ewes and the lambs can go out into small groups and and you can watch the lambs and make sure that they're not getting lost when they get out with a bunch of other lambs. And after a couple of days in that smaller, like that slightly larger pen, then then you can put them into the, the big group with with all the other ewes.
0: You mentioned record keeping briefly earlier in the episode. Could you explain listeners what information should be kept within the records?
1: So in terms of keeping records, the only point to me in keeping records is, is if you're actually going to use the records for something. And I see lots of people, and I've done it myself, is you know kept records and then never really done anything with them. So you need to figure out the kind of information that you want to have and what you'll use. And that really depends on the level of management that you have. You know, I, I do think it's important to be able to identify the lambs and, and match them up with the ewes later on. And unless you have a very small flock, uh, it won't take you long before you lose track of whose lamb is you, whose. So, you know, at a very basic or minimum level, you should have your ewes tagged and uh, and then tag your lambs and, and keep a record of whose lamb was whose. Um, so you can sort them out. In our barn we used to have eight management pens and quite often we'd get lambs that got mixed up in the pens and it takes time to go through and figure out where everybody is so we actually just used to color code each of the lambs to the pen so you know the first pen on the right hand side of the barn we used a red mark and the second one we used a green mark on the lambs so we knew that if they weren't in the right pen, we could just put them into the pen with the color and that saved us a lot of time. So lambs are pretty good at finding their moms, but if there's a big barn and a huge group of sheep, then especially if they're divided into smaller management groups, sometimes they get confused and it doesn't take them long, especially in cold weather to, to get hyperthermic. So the, quicker, the more quickly you can get back to the ewes, the better. In terms of other information, you know, you want to look at what you're going to use for selecting, you know, most importantly for the trying to identify the, the lambs that you want to save for breeding stock. Things like whether or not the ewe had a hard time lambing. Uh, if you had to assist the ewe at lambing time, then to me that's a, that's a big thing that you want to consider because you don't want to perhaps to select one of her, her ewe lambs as a replacement. If you have a ewe that's had a prolapse and you've had to, to do some intervention to get those lambs to, to birth and then through the, the growth period, that those lambs are definitely ewe lambs that I wouldn't select for breeding stock because there is a genetic uh, component in, in prolapses. And then, kind of on a bigger picture, as the, the lambs get older, you want to be able to, you might want to check their birth weight or their growth rates and that kind of thing and use that as part of your selection process. Typically, though, when someone's starting out, uh, you know, they're going to probably keep uh, most of their ewe lambs that they're, you know, from a confirmation point of view, you know, good, healthy, strong, and well uh, well developed lambs. They'll probably keep them for breeding stocks. So, you know, in the early stages of keeping records sometimes you you end up keeping more records than you're really going to use and that's uh, not necessarily very productive.
0: Well I want to thank you for participating in part one of this important lamb survival discussion and we look forward to having you on a future episode.
1: So it's my pleasure Brad it's always great to talk to you also and I thoroughly enjoy the opportunity to, to interact with, with producers at any time. So thank you.
0: Thanks very much. Don't want to miss any future episodes. Subscribe to a Maritime Acast today through Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast platform. This concludes another episode of Maritime Acast. We would like to thank our producer, the Agri Commodity Management Association, Director Ashley, as well as Matt Whitehour and Micah Dahl-Anderson of ArchesAudio.com for providing the music you heard during this episode. Until next time, happy farming and keep feeding the Maritimes.